Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Writer's Routine Podcast. This is where we talk to an author about the scheduling secrets behind their success in the hope that I guess some of it rubs off onto us and we can learn to plan our creativity a little bit better. Now, today's guest is AJ Finn. His debut novel, The Woman in the Window, it's just been released, tipped to be the new Gone Girl as well. It's going to be huge, I promise. The film rights have already been bought to this. Uh, There's loads more going on with the story and where it's headed as well. You'll find out more about that throughout the show. I don't want to ruin it too soon. Now, we'll talk about how a change in his meds gave him the idea for the story, what it's like trying to stick another psychological thriller onto people's bookshelves, and also why, if his character has started veering from his outline plot, then something has gone seriously wrong. This was all outlined, and a lot of authors talk about their characters surprising them or their narrative ambushing them. If my character surprised me, it means my medication isn't working. I do not wish to be surprised by my characters. I knew going in exactly what would happen when and to whom. So stay there. It's all on the way on this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, hello. Thank you so much for being there. It's another episode of Writer's Routine. Uh, My name is Dan Simpson. Firstly, huge thanks to the immense reaction to last week's show with Anthony Horowitz. The outpouring of positivity, which I'm sure all those peas played havoc into the microphone. So sorry if you caught the brunt of that. Anyway, all the, the good feeling spreading across Twitter and Instagram about that episode is brilliant. I knew that his advice and guidance would be helpful for writers all over the place. Whatever stage of the process or however far you are getting your story down on paper, um, his words and and help are always going to be useful. He's been there, he's done it, and I'm sure there are just hundreds of promo t-shirts with his covers on them from book releases through the years to prove it as well. The amazing thing is, is he was one of the authors that I put on the very first list of guests that I wanted on the show you know way back last year when I had the idea the very first notion for this podcast so to finally sit down in a room with Anthony was just mind-blowing thank you to him and thank you to Alice and everyone at 11th Hour Films who helped make that happen if you enjoyed that and you're eagerly awaiting the uh, the tidbits of eccentricities and intricacies and advice from today's guest AJ Finn then how about you share the love for the podcast with some people that you don't know and leave us a review? It's so simple as well. Just find Writer's Routine on the iTunes podcast store. I'll say this again. Drop us five stars. Any little helpful words uh, written underneath it would be amazing as well. And I do really appreciate the time and the effort that has been put in uh, if you've already done it. Thank you so much for that. It's dead simple. Find Writer's Routine on the iTunes podcast store. Let's get into this week's guest then. I think you're about to hear a lot 
about AJ Finn's debut novel, The Woman in the Window. It's going to be all over the place really soon. It's just been published. You may have seen the adverts all over the underground if you live in London. Uh, It's said to be the new Gone Girl and the girl on the train as well. It's a psychological thriller about an agoraphobic addict who has seen something curious out of her bedroom window and she needs to get everybody to believe her. And it's really taken off as well. I just want to get all the stats right to really do how big this book is going to be justice. Uh, He sold it in 38 territories already, which is the most for a debut novel ever. He hit the number one spot on the New York Times bestseller list, which is the first time a debut book has done that in 22 years. And Fox have picked up the film rights to it already and it's only just been published now aj is not his real name it's dan and he works in publishing until very recently which is he says why he chose a gender neutral name so his contemporaries wouldn't guess it was him you see he claims there are like five men who work in the american publishing industry and if word got out that one of them had released a book under a pseudonym well if it was a male name people would probably start putting two and two together although Here's the thing, the cynic in me does think that maybe having known working in the industry and selling books, that psychological thriller books are mostly targeted at women, Uh, possibly a female sounding name, you know, AJ Finn. I don't know, maybe he knew it might be helpful in shifting a few copies. But anyway, who knows? Uh, It's not my place. I'm not here to decide that. I am here to read the book, though, and I have. It is fantastic as well. A real page turner. It happens over 100 days and you get to know the lead character inside out just way more than you usually do in a book in this mould where the plot is still so intricate as well. Now, I spoke to AJ in Waterstones Piccadilly in London a few weeks ago while he was over promoting the book, uh, right before he commanded a whole crowd of thriller fans at a book event. And he's just got this fantastic energetic intensity it's almost like weirdly intoxicating now we chat about how he got it published which is more tough than you might imagine for someone working in the publishing industry also why the language of the book was so difficult to get right and we've had a lot of pantsers on this show you know authors that don't really plot but just pick up their pen and write flying by the seat of their pants now aj is not one of those he needs thorough explanation of what's going on and we'll find out more about that in just a sec also we've got something brand new in the middle to break up the chat on the way it's one writing tip from a top author that will change the way you work forever and it's in their own words so stick around for that First, let's get into it. The chat with AJ Finn about his working day and what he sees around him where he sits down to write. Directly ahead of me is a framed portrait of Sherlock Holmes at his desk looking tortured, which is how I often feel when I'm sat at my desk. To my left is a window. Across the street, I can see a neighboring townhouse I live in. Manhattan in Chelsea, which is lined with brownstones, these imposing brownstone houses. To my right is the sofa, and there's not much behind me except for a fireplace because, again, I live in a Manhattan flat and it is tiny. Are you writing on on your laptop, on paper, maybe an iPad? I write on my laptop and I've found that I cannot write anywhere besides my desk, which is going to prove problematic because I'm just kicking off my tour. I need to learn to write on planes. I am an intensely private person. I feel I feel almost paranoid about passengers next to me on planes or in vehicles looking at what I'm writing. So I've invested in one of those privacy screens. 
Oh, I don't know about these yes, things. Yes, yes, you just slide them onto your laptop screen and anyone trying to examine your work from an angle is foiled. Do you... If that was me, I'd feel incredibly anxious. Perhaps it's, it's the Britishness in me coming out that then the person next to me is, is, is judging me intrigued? as a snob. Oh, I see. Yeah. How dare this person? I, I wasn't even bothered about what he's writing. I, I follow your logic. As an American, I'm, I'm not too fussed. <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. I aspire to be a snob. The show's called The Writer's Routine, um, and we do exactly that. So tell me about your average day when you are writing from the moment you wake up mm-hmm. to the moment you go to bed. So I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I left my job as an editor at a publishing house, at indeed the publishing house that publishes my work, uh, three weeks ago, exactly. So my writing routine is still evolving. For the period during which I wrote my book, which was summer of 2015 through summer of 2016, I was balancing my writerly responsibilities with my day job responsibilities. So I would need to carve out time to write at nights and at weekends. And it was quite catch-as-catch-can. I would cram in a few hours here and there. And I find that thanks to a combination of Adderall and Coke, Coca-Cola, I hasten to add, not the other kind, I am able to write for hours at a stretch. So that's how I got through it the first time. Now that I'm a free agent without health care, I... I don't know how I'm going to write. I'm in the middle of my second book. I've also just started tour. So having migrated directly from my job to the writing tour, I haven't yet evolved a routine. I can tell you that when I'm writing, I do like to listen to electronic music or music, pop music in a language I don't speak. I don't want to be distracted by lyrical content. And I'm proud to say I kicked the Coke habit again. Coca-Cola. I kicked that habit uh, 10 weeks ago, and having gone cold turkey, I have not gone back, so these days I'm caffeinating myself with Earl Grey tea. Oh, very British, which we can do well for you here. Right? So I I actually, I lived in England for 10 years. I did not pick up the tea habit until after moving to New York, which is bitterly ironic, but there you have it. So you've slightly mentioned that you just left your job in the publishing house. Yes, sir. Talk to me about how you got this book published then. It's The Woman in the Window. Was that confusing? Was that conflicting? How did that work? So I had a notion at one point in my career, I spent over 10 years in publishing, that I might write a book. But for the longest time, probably since that latest 1988, when Thomas Harris published The Silence of the Lambs, the market was dominated by serial killer thrillers by the likes of James Patterson and Patricia Cornwell. And I enjoyed those, but I didn't have one in me. I'm not sick enough. And then in 2012, Gillian Flynn inducted a mass readership into the psychological suspense genre with Gone Girl. And this was the sort of book I'd read as a teenager when I got very into Patricia Highsmith and Ruth Rendell. And then as a doctoral student at Oxford, I focused on Highsmith. And as a publisher of principally crime fiction, I was attracted to this sort of book. So I thought, all right, I have read this novel. I have studied this novel. I have published this novel or this type of novel. This is what I can try to write. I didn't have a story until three years later. And it was at that point that I thought, screw it, I'm just going to try it. My goal was just to be able to type the words the end at the conclusion of the final chapter. I did not have ambitions beyond that. So everything that's happened since, I'm happily discombobulated by all this. So there's so much going on now with the book. I want to take you back to the very start of it. You said it was three years before you wanting to write the book and then putting your pen to paper or fingers to keyboard. (laughs) Tell me about the very first idea you had for The Woman in the Window. I was... uh, 
parked on my sofa in summer of 2015, and... A couple of weeks before this, four weeks before this, I had seen a psychiatrist. And I'd seen psychiatrists throughout my adulthood because I suffered from age 21 onwards from very severe clinical depression. And this particular psychiatrist, a really brilliant Russian fellow, had said to me, look, I, I think you've actually been misdiagnosed. I don't think you suffer from unipolar depression. I think you've got a form of bipolar disorder. And I argued with him because I'm argumentative by nature. And I, I told him I've never gone full carry in Homeland. I've never experienced what I would classify as a manic episode. And he said, no, I think you've got a strain of bipolar called bipolar 2, wherein the highs are not as dizzying or manic or berserk, but the lows are actually lower and more enduring. So we're going to take you off your old meds and put you on some new ones. And I've done this before. It's about a six-week cycle. And every single time I feel like Bruce Banner turning into the Hulk. It's, it's very... In any event, I am chilling on my sofa about four weeks into this switch in medical regimen and I'm feeling significantly improved and I'm watching Rear Window because I've got this nigh autistic ability to rewatch old films and reread old books that I love and in my peripheral vision I clock a light I mentioned earlier that my my apartment has a window giving onto the street and it's my neighbor across the street in her beautiful townhome she switched on a lamp and so in accordance with fine New York City custom I spy on her and she is settling herself in her armchair and aiming a remote at the TV and behind me on my own TV, I hear Thelma Ritter in rear window chiding Jimmy Stewart for peering into Raymond Burr's flat across the courtyard. And I think to myself how funny that in 1954, Jimmy Stewart was doing exactly what I'm doing now. Voyeurism is, I think, primal. As humans, we are wired to feel curious about our environments and those who inhabit them. And all of a sudden, and I wish, Dan, I could come up with a, a more precise or analytical means of describing this, but uh, all of a sudden this idea just sort of took root and swiftly took shape in my mind. I wanted to take the core premise of Rear Window and steer it in a different direction, an updated direction. And around the same time, as I sat down to map out the story, this character strode into my brain from some corner of my subconscious, and she had, uh, I know that sounds pretentious, but that's how she presented herself to me, and she had struggled just as I had struggled Although the circumstances of our traumas were very different, they felt to me comparable in intensity. So I plugged this character into the story that was sloshing around in my brain, and within 48 hours, I'd bashed out this outline. Heading into this, I anticipated having difficulty with the plotting, because I'd never written creatively as an adult. And I assumed that the sentence-level composition, the writing, would prove easy, because I've written plenty in my career, in my studies, etc., etc. And it turned out to be very much the inverse. The plotting, as noted, came quite quickly. I bashed out this 7,500-word outline and sent it to an agent friend of mine. One of the perks of working in publishing is that I already knew lots of agents. So I selected one whom I rated and trusted and asked her to take a look. And she did take a look and encouraged me to proceed with it. And my agent, Jen, held my hand through some early chapters. I write sequentially. I have to write in sequence. There was no skipping ahead. There was no ducking back. I would finish a chapter, and the book is chopped up into 100 bite-sized chapters, and I, having spit-polished it and refined it to my satisfaction, forget about it then. I proceeded at a pretty fitful pace. As described, I had to snatch time where I could, and in certain seasons or months, my publishing job proved too demanding for me to devote much attention to the book. So by the following July, I finished about 65% of the book, and then bumped into Jen, my agent, at an industry event, and she said, well, I want your manuscript by the beginning of September, and I, I thought, well, I swore to myself, and uh, 
then I sat down, and happily, as noted, this was summer, and publishing just sort of shuts down in summer. So I sat down at my desk and cranked out the last third in a six-week frenzy. You mentioned that it's in a hundred bite-sized chapters. Yep. It's quite stylized in a good way, I find. Um, mm. Some people find that word quite insulting. I don't, no, I don't no, think they should at all. Uh, but it's 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 written in daily form, not as a diary, but you've got Monday, October 25th, yes. Tuesday, October 26th. How did you know what was going on each day? At what point in the chapter did you know what was coming in the next chapter? Did you have a spreadsheet with everything going on, or are you flying by the seat of your pants? No. Um, I, this was all outlined. And a lot of authors talk about their characters surprising them or their narrative ambushing them. If my character surprised me, it means my medication isn't working. I do not wish to be surprised by my characters. I knew going in exactly what would happen when and to whom. And in particular, I was keen to nail the ending. So many times, especially with suspense novels, the author fails to stick the landing, which is unfortunate because it's, of course, the last thing a reader remembers about the book, and as such, it informs and even determines their appraisal of the book. So everything was mapped out in pretty exacting detail, including the days of the week. Because I'm a big film buff, and because this book is intended as an homage of sorts to Hitchcock, it is written really as a series of scenes. I think it should translate pretty readily to film. Most of the chapters have a clearly cut beginning, middle, and end, and a few of them, a a few of them pick up on action that was staged in a previous chapter and form continuations of sorts, but most of them are self-contained. Let's talk about you. You mentioned knowing your character. If, yes. if Anna surprises you at all, then something's gone wrong. Yeah. Talk to me about tone and voice. Anna, in this, she's stuck in her house. Yep. She's, uh, I can never pronounce the word. Is it an agrophobe, an agoraphobe? You can say either one. I'll say agrophobe. She's an agrophobe. She's stuck in her house. She's spying everyone out the window. Yes. How did you feel confident enough to write, because it's all in first person, yep. as a 38-year-old agrophobe mm-hmm. who's locked inside her house and to write so confidently and casually as her? Well, when I was writing the book, I was a 36-year-old agoraphobe or former agoraphobe. I'd, I'd routinely, during my struggles with mental health, found myself unable for days or weeks or even months at a stretch to prize myself from bed, let alone leave the house. So although I did undertake some research, speaking to psychiatrists, communicating with agoraphobes in online forums, much as the one depicted in the book, I I was able to tap into some unpleasant personal experience. What I tried to do with this character, as much for the audience's benefit as for my own, because I was going to be spending some time rattling around in her head, is to lend her some depth and dimension. So often in this genre, characters seem to exist solely to serve the purpose of the plot. Indeed, they exist within the confines of that plot. You sense that if these particular circumstances hadn't befallen them, they wouldn't exist at all. And that renders them, at best, two-dimensional. I wanted Anna to be someone with whom we could possibly enjoy spending time. And I know she's frustrating. She treats herself badly. She doesn't take good care of herself. At the same time, I find her fun, funny. She's smart. She's perceptive. The key to this, I think, was to endow her with hobbies and habits, to suggest that she has some sort of life, even though she's a lonely agoraphobe, outside the plot, outside the demands of the narrative. So, for example, she learns French online. She plays chess online. She's a film buff. And the films enhance the atmosphere of the book. I think they lend a a menace and a mood. And they also serve as both signposts and red herrings. The reader familiar with a given film might wonder if I'm dropping a clue as to the direction the narrative might take or if I'm just trying to fool them. But uh, they're not strictly integral to the plot. This is a woman who has hobbies, who has habits, who has interests outside what's immediately happening to her. 
We'll get more from AJ Finn, also something brand new in just a sec, when we'll hear a top author's tip to change the way you write forever. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I just want to say a very quick thank you before we plough on, because there's been a lot of love uh, for the podcast on Twitter recently, and I really appreciate you taking the time out uh, to tell me what episodes you're enjoying, the tips and tricks from authors that you're picking up on, and all of that. And as I've emphasised on many an occasion, tell someone that you know about the show. Maybe one of your best mates is a like-minded friend of yours. It is You know they are trying to write a book, but they're struggling a little bit with the motivation. And you think that maybe this show might be the push in the right direction. They need to finally write the words, the end, and go out there, try and get it published. It would be great if you could let them know about the show. Also, you can tell someone that you don't know about the podcast. And you can do that by just leaving us a review on the iTunes podcast store. And keep on letting me know what you think as well on Twitter too. Uh, we're at Writers Pod on there, which is probably the best way to get a nice quick response from me. Also, you can follow us on Instagram. It's Writers Routine there. You'll get short videos from the chats as well. We might even go behind the scenes and you'll get some lovely pictures with some nice brooding dark filters that I love to use as well. Uh, you can hear all the episodes we've done so far too and find all the ways to listen to the show. To do that, and to get in touch with us, the best place is over at writersroutine.com. So, time for something brand new then on the show that we'll do every week or so when I've actually got one. In the middle of the main show and chat, we'll quickly hear from another author and a friend of the podcast. You see, usually what happens when I finish recording interviews with the authors is I, I quickly uh, flag down the PR person and I steal just an extra few minutes off of them to get a very blunt bit of advice. You know, some of the stuff that lacks all the frills and fancy to get into the main talk, but is almost as helpful. Now, today, it's one of the UK's most prolific authors, Anthony Horowitz, and he gives us one writing tip that might change the way you work forever. 
I'm Anthony Horowitz, and the one tip I'd give you to change the way you write is this. See the shape of what you're going to write, by which I mean whether it's a short story, a poem, a novel. Whatever it is you're going to write has got a shape to it, a beginning, a middle, an end. Uh, Once you can see that shape and visualise the novel or whatever it is you're writing, I think it somehow becomes easier to write. There you go. We'll have another writing tip that might change the way you work forever in next week's show. And if you haven't heard our full interview with Anthony Horowitz yet, then you need to get on it. It's on last week's episode, number 20, and you can download it through your favourite podcast place and over on our website, which is writersroutine.com. Right, let's get back to part two of our chat with AJ Finn, the author of the brand new book, The Woman in the Window. And as we've already said a few times, this is going to be huge. The film rights, they've already been picked up. It's been sold in 38 territories already. Uh, People are saying it's the new Gone Girl. And we pick up the chat with a little bit about the pressure that that has squeezed up against him. You know, his debut novel getting all this attention. He can't have expected it. The film rights being sold before it's even released. How does he handle that pressure? And will it make writing his second book much harder than it ever could have been, you know, with all that added expectation? Well, now you've frightened me. But uh, I will say that I actually came up with the idea for the second book before we'd submitted the first novel to publishers. And I'm really glad I did because I feel that much more confident in it. I felt at the time this would be a good idea for a book. If I were to come up with an idea right now, I imagine I'd feel significant pressure, and I probably wouldn't be able to judge the idea as clearly as I might otherwise. So in that respect, I'm heaving a sigh of relief. Uh, It is, as I mentioned, a more intricate book, and quite a bit larger. It, It takes place across the city of San Francisco. There is a larger cast of characters. People actually venture outside their homes, which is which is a welcome change of pace. That said, the process has thus far been exactly the same. I plotted the book in outline form. This is a significantly expanded outline. This is 23,000 words, three times the length of the first one. And the first novel is 90,000 words. So this this is like a, a third of a book practically already. Again, though, everything has been mapped out in pretty exacting detail. I mentioned earlier that occasionally the action would surprise me. This is because... I needed to ensure that motives were credible. There are more characters with more agendas in this book. And sifting through all that took some doing. But I did not want to tap out a single word of prose until I knew exactly what would happen. And again, I'm writing in sequence. So let's build on that for a second. You say that sometimes the action would surprise you. Yep. If it was surprising you and it was slightly veering from the outline that you've picked up, Yes. are you allowing yourself the freedom to run with it or would you immediately shoot that down no I do allow myself the freedom to run with it at, and, and that at the risk of sounding precious took a bit of courage or at least imagination I like to be in control when I'm writing and I think most people like to be in control with their pursuits unless you're you know, skydiving or something well actually probably no, especially when you're skydiving yeah, the ultimate one to be in control you do want to be in control don't so, yeah. you yeah yeah I'd be a bad skydiver I think we just <laughs> discovered that um I have learned to go with it. I'm, I'm quite a perfectionist to the extent that, and I should be ashamed of admitting this, when I'm typing a book out on my laptop, it's not just in generic, you know, double space, 12 point times New Roman. I have arranged the margins and the typeface such that it looks as though I'm bashing out a finished book. That just helps me, it helps me view that the, the book as a final product. I generally don't do drafts, actually at least not of an entire manuscript. I will do drafts of each chapter, but 
I will not move on from that chapter until it's finished. Without sounding, this isn't a criticism, but what I mean is that you can't move at the moment for mm-hmm. psychological thrillers Tell on the shelves. Yep. How are you making sure that yours stands out from the pack? And also, what are you taking from those written mm-hmm. and using those in your own work? What tropes are you latching onto? Well, certainly this book shares DNA with other psychological thrillers, notably The Girl on the Train. I'm not unaware of that, nor am I denying it. If anything, I'm embracing it. I am grateful for The Girl on the Train because it helped stoke the bonfire of psychological suspense. And as noted, this was a genre in which I wished to write. I just didn't have a story. As a publisher, I'd learned to suss out books that were cashing in, I think, or bandwagoning, and I did not want to craft that sort of story. Uh, what distinguishes, or what I hope distinguishes this book, are some tricks I picked up from Gillian Flynn and Tana French and Kate Atkinson, three contemporary writers whose work I really admire. They create three-dimensional characters who are resonant, who've got depth and dimension. And so many psychological thrillers are like crossword puzzles. They're briefly diverting. You complete them, you dispose of them, you forget about them. That's not what I wanted to write. I wanted to write a book that one could enjoy for the superficial twists and turns and the reversals and about faces and what have you, but a book that, if you were to scratch the surface, would reward you with some sort of substance or some sort of subtext. Some readers have very graciously described the book as as moving or as emotionally engaging, and that's high praise indeed. That is what I set out to do. I also wanted to write, and this sounds really banal, but I wanted to write interesting sentences I'm, I'm, I'm a words person. I love them. And nothing disappoints me more than a flatly written novel, irrespective of the genre. Quite a few of these books contain nary and interesting sentence. So I did spend a fair amount of time sculpting the prose. I wanted readers to be able to quote lines. I wanted lines to, to, to resonate with them and even inspire them or at least prove memorable. So that's, that's what I hope distinguishes this novel from the others, the, the craft of the writing and the emotional impact of the story. I chatted to an author recently who said a fantastic phrase. He said he wants to put two words together who have never met before. Oh, I love that. I'm going to steal that, actually. That is it for this week's episode of Writer's Routine. Thank you so much to AJ Finn. Obviously, it's a, a manic time for him. You know, interviews all over the place as his new book, The Woman in the Window, gets set to go like stratospheric. And for him to find time to fit me in... I really appreciate it. Now, you can get links to all of his stuff on our website. It's writersroutine.com. Also, make sure you give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter. Tell a like-minded mate about the show and tell someone you don't know about it as well by leaving us a review on the iTunes podcast store. Now, next week, we're chatting to Helen Fields, the third book in a D.I. Kalanak series of thrillers. It's just been released. It's called Perfect Death. And she'll be on Writer's Routine next week to tell us how she managed to write it. So I'll see you then. Goodbye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.